Please be seated and turn in your Bibles, or if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, it's in the back of your order of worship. Our text this evening is James 5. Uh, We're going to just come right almost up to the end of James this evening, and then next week we'll finish with these last two verses, uh, 19 and 20. James, as he comes to the end of his letter here, as you might imagine, uh, is, is... He's, this is kind of the last little bit of wisdom here. This is his, his, uh, his parting shot as he's closing up the letter, uh, as most of us naturally would. We assume that James here is going to, to make sure to remind us of what matters uh, and encourage us to the things that are most important. And so it's no surprise that as we come to the end, James' focus is on prayer Uh, We often talk about the ordinary means of grace here, uh, that God has promised to be with us, to grow us in Christ-likeness, to to work in us to accomplish our sanctification, Uh, but the Scripture not only tells us that He will do that and is doing that, it tells us how He ordinarily does it. And those ordinary ways, those ordinary means by which He accomplishes these things in us Uh, include, obviously, the ministry of the Word, uh, the sacraments, and prayer. And so James is focused on one of the the key aspects of the Christian life as we come to these final verses here in James 5. Uh, And in a moment, I'll begin reading in verse 13. Uh, There's, uh, with, with one exception, everything in this text is geared towards prayer. And so this evening, we're going to consider... Uh, fairly briefly, and it's a fairly simple text, but it, uh, it bears reminding, pray in every circumstance. Pray in every circumstance. Second, to pray for one another. Pray for one another. And third, to pray in faith. Pray in faith. Let me pray now, and we'll read the text. Father, thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. Uh, we pray that as we come together this evening, uh, we would know the truth because Your Spirit is speaking that truth to us by Your Word. Encourage us, Father. Uh, encourage us, particularly this evening in the life of prayer, that we would become people who more and more instinctively turn to You in every circumstance. Uh, we thank You for the ministry of James and for the, uh, the work that Your Spirit has done and will continue to do through this letter of James. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's Word, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Notice that, uh, that without necessarily attempting to be exhaustive, James in this section is exhorting us, and not only in the things that he exhorts us to pray about uh, or the circumstances in which he exhorts us to pray, but even the way he's written it comes across as a sort of 
encouragement and admonition to be praying all the time. He comes right out of the gate with these short little instructions. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church who are to pray over him. Right? James, is, his, his larger point is we ought to, to be instinctively praying all the time. Uh, he's covered here suffering, uh, sickness. I would argue that even when he says, is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise, that he still has prayer in mind. Uh, Augustine, not too much later after James's writing, a few centuries, uh, is famous for having said, he who sings praise twice. Uh, our, our singing of praise must and only can be directed to God. Our singing of praise is a kind of prayer, so that even here, James has prayer in mind. James' instruction to us is, uh, is another way of saying the same thing Paul said, pray without ceasing. Prayer ought to be our frame of mind. Uh, we, I think we are most instinctual about going to God in prayer, and this is not a criticism, uh, but I think we, we most instinctively do it when we're suffering, right? When something bad happens. When, I'm, when I wake up in the middle of the night really, really sick, uh, I've been known to pray, God, if this is when you're taking me, let's get it over with, right? Uh, it, we, we instinctively are inclined to pray to God in the midst of our suffering, uh, the, the moments where, where I, without thinking, just thoughtlessly in the, the most positive sense of that word, turn to God in prayer are those moments where I am most concerned, most in pain, most uh, uh, desirous of a particular outcome in something that is very important to me. The, the problem isn't that, that we instinctively do that. The problem is we don't instinctively do that with everything. We are probably at the other end of the spectrum, least instinctive about crying out to God in praise and thanksgiving when He does wonderful things for us, when He blesses us in amazing ways. We tend to go right into the enjoyment of that blessing, don't we? As opposed to instinctively, in the same way in which we, we cry ouch when something stings us, uh, we, we will instinctively in pain turn to God just as a child does, right? A child, when the, a child gets hurt on the playground and their parents are there, will get up and run to the parent looking for comfort. We do that well, and we shouldn't do it any less well than we do. It's wonderful that we do that. We should have that same kind of instinctive response in all of our circumstances, and not just all of the different kinds of hard circumstances, but in the wonderful circumstances, in the beautiful circumstances, when God gives good blessings to His people, whatever your circumstance, prayer is appropriate. Prayer is an appeal to the King. I think, you know, as I was getting ready and thinking through these things, none of us, as far as I'm aware, unless we have uh, some current or former British citizens here, probably has ever lived under uh, a king or a queen and even today, king and queen in England, that's, it, it doesn't really work like it used to. But imagine living in a kingdom uh, where there is a king who, who decides all things, is absolutely sovereign, has all authority. And this king has said to you, you have free access to this throne at all times. 
And not only do you have that free access, I'm encouraging you to utilize that access. Come into this throne room, tell me what you need, say anything you like, come into this place and express your concerns, your fears, your needs, ask for healing when you are sick, forgiveness when you have sinned, come into this throne room anytime you like, you can't possibly wear out your welcome. And I will grant what you need every time. If, if we had an actual king we could see who sat on an actual throne who actually exercised that kind of authority, how quickly would we go to that king? All of the time. And yet, I've, that's barely an illustration. We have a king. He sits on a throne. He is a real person, God and man, and he has said this to us, come to me with your prayers. Come to me with your fears Come to me with your sickness. Come to me with your sin. Come to me. And I will grant what is needed. We ought to be praying in every circumstance. And listen, as I told the kids earlier, prayer does not need to wait for a Sunday. It doesn't need to wait for corporate uh, worship. It doesn't need to wait until you come into this holy room in which we meet, Right? Uh, this is the, the great wonder and beauty of prayer is that prayer, us talking to God, can be done at any time and anywhere. We have incredible access to the throne. It's an access that you'll remember in history, in a, in a particular way in the Old Testament, it was not always granted to God's people, but that on the day that Christ died on the cross, the veil that represented the, the separation between God and man because of sin, that veil was torn from top to bottom. And that holy of holies, that place that we couldn't go into without a high priest, and then only when he went in with blood, that place that, that was restricted from us is now open to us and open forever so that the author of Hebrews, as I often remind you, has said to us to come into the very throne room of God and do so boldly. What a great grace is ours. What a great privilege and a blessing that there is a God in heaven and that He has said to us that we have full access to the throne room to make all of our requests known to Him and to sing His praises. James encourages us to this. We ought to go to God in prayer when we've had a great day when we fought sin and have been victorious over it, thank Him and praise Him, singing praises to Him. Go to God when you've had a bad day, when your circumstances have beaten you down and you're discouraged, and when you've not only been tempted, but you've given in to temptation and you've sinned. Go to God in prayer and confess your sins and hear Him from His Word tell you that your sins are indeed forgiven. Go to God in prayer and cry out in pain. Go to God in prayer and acknowledge His goodness and His blessings. Go to God when you are at the end of your rope and you don't know what else to do. Brothers and sisters, go to God when you don't know what words to say. And God says in His Word that the Spirit will interpret for you. Go to God and literally just groan because you don't know how to express to Him the pain you're suffering or the need that you have, or the fear that has brought you into His throne room. The Spirit will translate your very groans. 
what a great grace, what a great blessing to us that God invites us to come to Him. Also this evening, we see in the text that we are to pray for one another. Look at verse 16. And this is a, a little, there's a little more nuance here in the text. He says, therefore, verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I don't think James would have any problem encouraging us to pray for one another for all sorts of things. But in the context here, James seems to be talking to us about praying for one another as we confess our sins to one another. And I don't think he means general confession. Uh, again, I don't, I'm not saying that, that that's ruled out, that we shouldn't uh, be able to go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, I've done some sinful thing and I need to talk to somebody about it. But the confession of sin that James is talking about here is confessing to those against whom we've sinned. When we have sinned against one another, we ought to confess those sins to one another. We ought to confess them. We ought to repent. And those who have been sinned against ought to forgive. But James goes one step further here, and he says we ought to be praying for one another. Listen, when we come to, together, when, when we come to one another and we say, I need to confess, I have sinned against you. And I, I hate that I've done this. I'm sorry that I've done this. I repent of this. Will you forgive me? And hopefully the response is yes. Yes, I forgive you. But the next thing we ought to be doing, according to James, is pray for one another. The one who has sinned ought to pray for the one against whom they've sinned. The one who's been offended ought to pray for the one who has offended them. What strength in Christian community if we would repent to one another, confess our sins to one another, forgive one another when there has been repentance, and, and go that one step further and pray for one another when there's been confession and forgiveness. Look at what James says. He says, that you may be healed. There in the middle of 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Again, in the context, probably not focused on healing from physical illness, although I think as Westerners and 21st century people, we probably separate physical and emotional and spiritual healing far too neatly. Uh, the psalmist doesn't seem to do that, does he? We occasionally use the, the psalm to confess our sins where David cries out, my bones melt within me because of the, the burden of guilt and the grief and the hatred he has for his sin. He describes it as a physical effect. James here, though, probably first and foremost focused on the healing with respect to the, the spiritual healing, the healing of the one who has sinned, who, who has borne this guilt, this burden of their sin, the grief and the hatred for that sin, the knowledge that they have offended a brother or a sister in Christ, the knowledge that they have offended against God Himself in heaven. They need healing from this, and this is what Christ holds out. This is what Christ has accomplished. And when we have been offended and we are willing not only to forgive, but then to pray for the one who has offended us, we are a means by which God is taking that burden away from them, healing them of the very thing they most need the healing from. We are to pray for one another. 
it's, it's an unusual idea, at least in my experience. I, I can't remember hearing this before in, in my, my own life growing up in the church, hearing these things. Is this encouragement to be praying for one another in the context of repenting and forgiving? The more I thought about it this week, the more powerful it seems. We've got to be a people quick to confess, a people quick to repent, but also a people quick to pray for one another in the context of confession and repentance. Uh, it's, it's difficult to imagine uh, how much stronger our community, our fellowship would be if this is how we related to one another. You've probably heard somebody pointed out before, maybe you've experienced it yourself, but if you will pray for somebody, it becomes increasingly difficult to be angry at them, to hate them, to wish them ill. Uh, we, we find ourselves softening towards them, uh, and that is probably also in mind here in James' instruction. Finally this evening, uh, pray in faith. Look at the, the rest of the passage here. There's a single uh, uh, encouragement a single instruction here at the end of 16, and then 17 and 18 are an illustration of it. Look at what he says. I'm kind of in the middle of 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Uh, without transition, he goes from praying for one another in the context of repenting and forgiving, having come out of the, the instruction to pray when you're suffering, to, to sing praises when you're cheerful, to pray when you're sick, have the elders come and pray and anoint. He comes to the end of the, the instruction part before the Elijah example here, and he says the prayer of a righteous person has great powers, it's working. Uh, our prayers have great power. That power does not rest or reside in or rise up out of us, but out of the one to whom we pray. And he makes this point quite explicitly with his illustration. Look at what he says. He says, Elijah, and then he tells us something that's profoundly obvious, and yet we needed the reminder, was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah, who prayed that it wouldn't rain, and for three and a half years it didn't, and then prayed that it would rain, and it did. Elijah was not an angel. Elijah wasn't some kind of superman. Elijah was a righteous man, and he prayed. But he prayed to a God who has made promises to his people, and who is powerful and faithful to keep his promises. This is why it didn't rain when Elijah prayed for drought, and why it did rain when Elijah prayed that the heavens would be open. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Don't make the mistake of, of deifying, mythologizing Elijah, turning him into something we could never be. He was nothing more than what we are. He was a prophet of God called to a particular office, yes, but he was just a man. And in fact, the spirit that was in Elijah that empowered him in his office is a spirit that lives in every single one of us in this room tonight who is believing in Jesus Christ and repenting of our sins. We are encouraged in Scripture and no less here in James to pray 
without ceasing, to pray in every circumstance, to pray for one another, because prayer is a powerful thing. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful. It has great power as it's working. So why pray in every circumstance? Why pray for others? What can we hope to come out of such a life of prayer? A Christian, one who is trusting in Christ for salvation, one who has faith in Christ when he or she prays, engages in a powerful act, not because the Christian is himself or herself powerful, but because the God to whom we pray is powerful and faithful to do all that is right and good and true. Elijah is a fantastic example of this. It sounds crazy, but we are indwelled by the same Spirit of God that Elijah had, and our prayers are as powerful as Elijah's prayers. Jesus said our faith would move mountains. Brothers, I tell you that our prayers can raise the dead when we pray fervently for those who are lost. And God answers those prayers. And the Spirit brings to life those who have been dead in their trespasses and sins. That is powerful prayer. It's a a tremendous blessing that we have. What a privilege to come to God in prayer, to make known to Him all of our needs and fears, our concerns, uh, to come to Him in prayer, praising Him and giving thanks for His many blessings for us. It ought to characterize our lives, brothers and sisters. We ought to be taking full advantage of the prayer that is our privilege. Let's pray.